Hello and welcome. This is your host, Jonathan Wilson, for Redefining Family. Anyways, I wanted to <laughs> just say have a great week, everyone. This episode is actually super fun. I'm excited. Blake Allen is amazing. Not really much to say about my personal life. I feel like I'm trekking on, and it's it's such a weird, like, I feel like this year is just going by fast, but, you know, it is what it is. Anyways, tune in. Blake Allen's interesting. You'll have fun. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. I am so excited. It's, it's funny because I was looking at some of the research around this next guest of ours and Blake Allen. Blake Allen is really uh, an interesting character. I'll, I'll read you his bio. Blake Allen is an internationally recognized and award-winning musician and composer based in New York City, where I used to live. Allen has performed on and off-Broadway, Carnegie Hall, and many major venues across the country. Allen has four chart-topping albums. It's amazing. With his latest autobiographical musical opera, The Shards of an Honor Code Junkie. Interesting. Having over 4 million streams. 4 million streams? I don't even know what that looks like. <laughs> like one person downloading 4 million times? I'm playing around. Anyways, I'm happy to have you on the show, Blake. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me be here. I mean, you know, so on this show, we primarily talk about, you know, the journey that LGBTQ people have experienced and really thinking through, you know, what does family mean? How are we supported? Who lifts you up? Who loves and supports you? And I typically don't use the term chosen family because I believe that family doesn't need to be qualified. It's either you're oh, a blood yeah. relative and family or you're just family. <laughs> so, um, or you're just a blood relative, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. So I don't know. I, I'd love to hear about your, your story growing up as a kid. Did you always know you were gay? Yeah. Tell us more. Yeah, so I was raised Mormon, LDS, and so I grew up in a very staunch, almost orthodox household. And I don't know if I could always qualify that I was gay until I was older, but I knew that I was different and not like everyone else. And it caused me to create sort of a perfectionist personality where I always had to be the best, be the best student, the best son, the best practitioner of the religion does that make sense because i was hiding the self that i was being told was not righteous and i was gonna go to hell just for being born basically so yeah and then once i was sort of going to college i started understanding more about my sexuality and what that meant and it turned into i would rather be alive and be the person i am versus be dead following a religion that was forcing me to be that way and so that's kind of my quick background, my story about how I became comfortable with myself. And it's still like a long journey. I'm in therapy currently. And just like, you know, every day it's hard to love yourself, I think, in this world that we live in. But yeah, that's a nice little long trajectory. I feel like that was kind of short. I have so many questions. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> I, I love answering questions. Not into that one. But I do, by the way, I do want to say is sometimes it is hard to love yourself and it's oh, hard yeah. to, and, and, and therapy is so critical. And for those of you not in therapy, you need to be in therapy. Just, just, to, have, <laughs> just to have someone to talk to, because like not every week is going to be rocket science, but just to have someone to talk to who's not biased, who you can really be yourself with zero judgment is so important without having to put the pressure on friends or your family members, just like, luckily my insurance. I agree with that. So it's it's a nice weekly check-in with myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
No, I, uh, I've been in therapy off and on since I was like six or five. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I, I mean, is it lucky? I don't know. But uh, I have to say I'm pretty well adjusted That's <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but tell me, I want to go back to, you know, the family. And, and, and I, I, I wonder, maybe they are blood relatives now. How old were you when you first recognized that you were different, though? I was first able to put terminology to myself when I was around 11 or 12. Obviously, I didn't come out of the closet till I was 18 to my blood family. People knew before then, but to my blood family, I came out when I was 18. And it was just, you know, as you're entering puberty and the pre-pubescent age when your friends around you start talking about certain things and like actresses or people in the media and their attractiveness and I was like realizing that, that I wasn't talking about those people for those reasons you know like I was talking about Julia Roberts or Sandra Bullock because of their acting capabilities Respect the art. Or, or, or like oh my gosh I, I love her fashion in in um, my best friend's wedding like stuff like that like I love the lavender dress which like was different than my friends who were talking about her being in the lavender dress for different reasons because they showed off her boobs and so that's like when I really started realizing that I wasn't ticking the same as everyone else. You're I mean, like Keanu Reeves. Oh yeah, oh, my God, it's hot. <laughs> well, the, my, my very first like Hollywood crush was, which I still didn't understand what it was, was the movie. His name was Wally, and he was the brother in Leave It to Beaver, the movie that came out in like the late nineties. Oh yeah. And I just oh, remember yeah. telling my best friend like, "Oh, call me Wally. I want to be called Wally now." But then now looking back, I'm like, no, it's because I was attracted to this kid. But I just didn't have that, like, understanding, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, that's so, so funny. I mean, how many things do we do that cover? I mean, it's so oh, funny. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I look at that stuff, and it's like you cover it even when you're a kid. And you don't even realize that you're covering. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a, my, in second grade, I was in a school play, and I was dressed up as a monster. And the play was about friendship. And I was in a box in the center of the stage the whole entire time. And then I remember the person in the play was coming to me going, Blake, come out of the box, come out of the box. I'm like, no, I'm an ugly monster. And she says, I don't care. I love you for who you are. And I came out of the box and roared at her and she gave me this giant hug. Which like as a little kid, it's like, oh, great, you're a monster. Uh-huh. But now I, like, I'm older going, oh, my second grade teacher knew that I was gay. And was like trying to like let me know it was going to be okay by putting me in this play in that role. Oh, my God. It's so cute. Yeah. Miss Brockington, if yeah, you're still so alive. Cute. Yeah. So moments like that. So then, you know, I, I love that. So then at what point do you tell your blood relatives? I don't know. Are you close to your, your father and mom and siblings? Or do you have siblings? How many siblings do you have? I am the youngest of four. So I have two sisters and a brother. I'm okay. very, very close with my sister, Austin. She lives in the Netherlands. Even though I was a little, and like, she was really raised religious too, but she always like had me under her wing, even if my parents weren't there. I have a, I have a stronger, better relationship with my family. I've, my parents, I've worked so hard, just like they have, right? So now we like right. have learned to love each other in the way that we know how to love each other. And my dad's a huge supporter of mine. Even though he's still very conservative, very religious, I know how to talk to him and speak to him that's coming from a place of love. I mean, it's taken 20 years to get to that space, to that level of being able to mutually love and mutually respect one another. But there was a time I love where- that. So that's a positive outcome. What was that first moment though when you told him like wh- like not everybody arrives in a good place at the very end but the ending of your story sounds like or sorry I shouldn't say that you're probably way in the middle but <laughs> the story at this point <laughs> the story at this point I think is very positive and it took 20 years to get here but talk talk to the very beginning because there are a lot of people that are experiencing that very beginning right now 
Right. When I came out, I didn't want to serve my Mormon mission, which is around the time you're 18, 19. And so the only way I could figure out how to not break my family's heart by not serving my mission was to tell them I was gay. So I told them at Thanksgiving around the kitchen table and I said, I'm grateful for a family who doesn't care I'm gay, which was very... (laughs) (laughs) You could have picked a better... I could have, I could have picked better. Um, and I just remember my, my mom, she politely pushed herself away from the table and left. And then my father said, you're not gay. Satan just has a grasp on your soul, which is laughable now. But I know my father enough and time and enough has passed. That was my father showing me love. He's just church comes number one in his life over everything. Yeah. More than family, more than work, church is number one. So him saying that was not, you're a horrible person. But in the moment, it felt like I'm being completely rejected by my family. And then very shortly after, my friend died by suicide. And so it was just like, all of a sudden I had this, like, I felt I was forced to create a family that would protect me because I wasn't getting it from home in the way that I needed at that time. Because my parents only know how to love me in the way they know how. But at that time, I needed specific love that I was not getting from my family members, my blood relatives. And so... I found the support in faculty members at the school I was going to into my friend Chris and Michael and Noel. And I had a group of friends that really came around me to lift me up to like, you know, almost to save me. Like it was a really dark time. And through that, like the healing process of overcoming the pain and anguish of my friend's suicide at the, it's like almost as if my family's intertwined with that. Like I was able to like heal one at the same time as the other. And so my friend's suicide taught me that not only did I want to live, but I had to change my life in order for me to live. But then I kind of decided I want my family in my life. So let's make the terms that we both can agree with, that we can both be each other's life. Because they just mean so much to me. Does that make sense? Weren't your friends, I mean, if you want to talk about, I mean, I'm very curious about your your friend and what they were going through. Do you have an inkling around what may have been torturing your friend's soul? My friend did suffer from depression. I know that. They didn't really confide in me too much in that realm. I do know that they, you know, were also gay and were struggling with the place in the world, being uber-religious and Mormon versus being gay and being consistently told that you're going to hell, that, like, God doesn't love you, like, all that crap. And then I know that he had fallen in love with his roommate, who was straight an engaged to a woman. Oh. So I, I think that there was just a lot of a lot of internal turmoil there. And we spoke minutes before he decided to, before he took his life. So yeah, I just, I don't know. It's very, for many years, I felt like I was not the right friend. I could have been a better friend, but I know that that's not on me. Yeah, it's not on you. Yeah. But I, I, it's funny because I, I think there's an element there that's interesting because here you are, you are trying to come out you recognize that you have a friend that was also feeling what you're feeling but his only escape was to you know that he felt his only escape was to leave this earth (laughs) in his current human body and like that i think there's a lot there you know that i can relate to even yeah i know that i've actually wanted to commit suicide at times and i also have had friends that have taken their lives and or died by you know, horrible circumstances. And um, it's, it's hard. (laughs) It's very, very hard. So I applaud you for making it through. 
you know, and, and when you're in between 18 and 22, it's funny because you were like, oh, you know, you're college age, you're an adult, but you're such a young kid still, oh, yeah. right? During that time frame. So it's interesting. So, so then your father said what he said, your mom left the table. How much longer was it before you guys actually were to talk again in a more loving manner? A decade? I mean, I remembered for the first time in a long time a situation which was later that year. It's like the summer I had flown home and someone made a comment. I don't remember the comment, but I just remember yeah. I was so I was at home in El Paso, Texas, visiting. And I I am not this type of person. So it's like really laughable to me. Yeah. I did not like the comment that was said towards me. So I picked up the lasagna that my mom had just made and threw it against the wall and said, to my father, you're taking me to the airport now. I am going back to Utah. I would rather be in Utah at school than be here with you all. And my dad did it. He paid for the flight. I was like, I'm, if you don't take me, I'll go there and I'll wait at the airport. I'd rather wait at the airport for three days than be here. So <laughs> I, that's, that's, well, that's extreme. That's, like, that's I, I, I mean, I, I, hey, yeah. like, I am not, I'm like such a calm person. <laughs> 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 Where did it's it come a scene from? out of my dearest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not one of your fans. <laughs> <laughs> F and fish, right? Yeah. So it was a very, it's a very interesting story. I would say that that's definitely a low point in my familial blood family life. But I think it also was important for me to defend myself for whatever the comment was. I'm sure it was some <sighs> slur they didn't know was so bad towards me and how I was going to hell. But then I think that after that, it started like that was kind of a turning point, like a picking up the pieces. Like, okay, great. We, if we are around each other, this is what's going to happen. Oh, another story that I think really was important was my sister, Krista. She got engaged and I had been dating someone. The Netherlands sister? This is my other sister, yeah. So she had got engaged to a guy that she had known for only a couple months. And I had been dating a guy for several years. And that just like was never going to be on the table because... One, game marriage had passed and whatever. But I remember right. talking to my dad and I said, like, I just want you to, to let you know the anguish I feel that I can't even tell you I have a boyfriend for three years. And my sister can flaunt her month-old relationship on us. And my dad's like, well, you can't tell your mother it will kill her if I tell her I have a boyfriend. So I think that also was a turning point because I just remember saying, that's not fair. Like, whatever. Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't. <laughs> so, I mean, Yeah. And then it wasn't until, like, I, so I, I am married now to my spouse, Marty, and my father met Marty, and the first interaction my dad had with Marty, he said, thank you so much for being in Blake's life. He's finally making adult decisions, meaning, if I translate my father's words, is that my father finally understood that I had to be gay to survive, that it wasn't a choice. It wasn't me just, like, being crazy. It was like, no, if I, if I do not act out on my homosexuality, I will end up like my friend, Alan, who committed suicide. So I think that that was also yes. a moment that my dad saw that I was happy, making good decisions, being a better person in like a general sense. So that was his way of coming around. So do, yeah. you know, I, I think that's a good, that's a good segue. So how did you meet your, your current husband? Online. And <laughs> was it Grinder? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. But we, but we went on a date. We went on a date to coffee. Yeah. So it wasn't, right. it wasn't what typically happens on Grinder. 
I mean, I, I don't even know about that app. I, I've heard about it. Friends have told me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then, so you guys met there. How long was it that you guys dated before you guys ended up getting married? Uh, we got married. So we, like, we got married like a year and a half later. We got, okay. uh, we got married June 2017 and started dating in January 2016. But we, and we got legally married December 2016 because of the election results and we were all just so scared about everything. And so we were like, well, we're already engaged. Let's like legally marry just so we have the protections. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, and so we that's legit. I, and I always recommend people, if you're going to get married, get legally married way before because then when you get, we actually have the ceremony, it's about celebration as opposed to, oh my gosh, we're getting married. <laughs> yeah, I actually lived in a complex that overlooked Javits Center where Hillary Clinton was going to give her speech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you know, she won. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a moment. <laughs> that was a very big moment. I actually say it's very. This is sidebar. That that the next day following that, what how everyone was treating each other with kindness and respect, and no one was yelling, no one was honking, is very similar to what happened in the pandemic the same energy about like oh let's like be friends with one another and love one another because we're all going through a hard time together yeah very interesting observation yeah so then so tell me did you guys have the part were your parents there at the celebration of your ceremony yes everybody my father walked down oh. the aisle and um <gasps> gave me away my brother my one of my sisters were there my other sister was pregnant so she couldn't fly she like oh. had the baby a couple days later and then there was a moment, like, my, my mom was still uncomfortable. Like, she was there to support yeah. me. She loved. But there was a moment where my spouse, who's a drag queen, was wearing a, a romper, holding a pink parasol, and did a jump split in front of my mom. And my mom, <laughs> that was the moment that she was like, oh, this is just a celebration of love. And then she got on board in the way that she knew how, she knows how, and, like, was much more fun to be around at the wedding. You know, it was dancing. Who knew that rompers could like actually that. break the... <laughs> Robert could break the code. <laughs> I love that. I mean, in full transparency, my par- my parents, they did show up. Like, I applaud them for that. They yeah. weren't going to because it's against the Mormon church to support anything homosexual. Like, they could lose their temple recommend just for yeah. coming to their own son's wedding. And so my, my sister, who wasn't able to come, wrote them an email that's like, if you don't go to Blake's wedding, you're going to lose a daughter and you're also going to lose a son. So my parents kind of, like, recognized what putting the church first would do. And so they like chose yeah. to support me instead. So that was also really, I applaud them for making that choice. I applaud them too. Yay, mom and dad. <laughs> That's awesome. Cause I have friends who have gotten married who their parents didn't choose that choice. So I recognize that I am lucky. So let's talk about your careers. You're so accomplished. You're such like, how did you fall in love with, with music, with composition, when did you first like? When did you first start uh, going down that route? I don't, as cliche as it is, I don't have any memories without music attached to it. I basically came out of the yeah. womb in music. My mom says when I was a little baby, I would scream and scream and scream unless the organ was playing or someone was playing piano. And so <laughs> I started playing piano when I was three. My mom taught me, and then I just kind of got into the world of composing and arranging and my parents didn't really know how to cultivate that talent. So I didn't, you know, yeah. I was arranging in high school. I find stuff all the time or like wrote a piece. I don't remember writing, but it wasn't until I went to college that like my, my pro- professors were like, Oh, here's this talent. Let's cultivate it. Yeah. Yeah. 
it wasn't really until college that I started being very intense with composing. So were you very good at math also? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love that. No, I don't think the correlation. I just think that's great. I always say that my compositions are very math-based, meaning like yeah. I feel like I'm solving a math problem. Yeah. yeah. I, I write about melody and stuff, but lots of times it's just like math at the insular level. Most people who are on the nerdy side of music, I'm not saying necessarily the singers necessarily, but the nerdy side of music are very mathematical and very calculating. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's always a very interesting, it's always a fun conversation. Cause I actually, I taught calculus in college. Oh, like wow. I love math. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff. Tell us about your first production. Was it, so when you say you were off Broadway, how far off Broadway were you? Because <laughs> sometimes off Broadway is really, really off Broadway. <laughs> you mean for shards? Or yeah, yeah. Or even like just in your career, you said you you said you did things with. Um... Uh, yeah. So my first like big production, I would say, would be Folk Wandering. Uh, I was one of the composers and lyricists and stuff, and that was actually like off Broadway. It was eligible for drama desks and all that stuff. So that was at Fifty Fourth yeah. Street, right near MTC. Okay. No, yeah, yeah. I don't use the terminology. I don't stretch it because I understand that people stretch the words. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, and then, exactly. And then Shards was at, I'm sorry, I forgot. It was a church that's on 41st Street that's also an off-Broadway house. So yeah, so I, I, I use the word, I use the terminology yeah. correct. If that yeah, no, I like that. I appreciate that. I love that stuff. So I'm, yeah, I'm de- definitely, where does your sister live in the Netherlands, by the way? She what lives part? in a town called Hilversum. It's like the Hollywood of the Netherlands. It's about a 20-minute yeah. train ride from Amsterdam. It's like smack between Rotterdam and Amsterdam. Oh, fun. Now, how often do you go visit? I try to go every year, but then the pandemic happened. But I did go for Thanksgiving oh, yeah. this past year. So I saw them in November. I'm a huge fan of Amsterdam in particular. Yeah. <laughs> just, nice. I just say it's like so beautiful. Not because of like the weed. Weed's legal in California, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but I find I didn't it. even think that when you said it. I was like, yeah, Amsterdam's gorgeous and the people are nice. <laughs> yeah, the people are great. Well, I mean, like when you're, you know, when you're younger, you're like, oh, you just like it because of this. No, I think it's a beautiful city. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's a beautiful city. Tell us about what you consider to be family now. Like, who's your, who are the people that love, support you, and lift you up? I definitely say my sister, Austin. She's actually like, like mm-hmm. my blood relative that I say is still family. But then I have, my friend Lisa, I call her my sister more than I call her my friend. Yeah. And I had met her when I was working at Disney World. She lived right above me and we became fast friends. Then my best friend Chris is my, like if I was going to, yeah. if I was arrested and needed someone to call, I would call him. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, he helped me bury the body. Yeah. <laughs> and he plays piano. And I, he was there. He was one of the people who lifted me up after my friend's suicide. He's been a huge. Mm. He's a brother to me. And then, you know, I have a lot of college friends in the city that I I just feel it's so important. To, I also don't like to say chosen family. I think that's a really weird terminology. I do yeah. think that there are friendships that ha- transcend the general definition of friends that yeah. mean more. I just got back from Winnipeg in Gimli visiting my friend Steph. And she definitely, she brings me so much inherent joy when I see her. In a way oh, I, love I that. don't understand. I can't even put words to it, but it's just like I feel yes. so safe, so calm, so protected, so joyful when I'm in Gimli, when I'm in 
that town visiting her, if that makes sense. And I feel that it's, it's what a lucky person to have. I mean, you associate joy with her like multiple tw- times. Like that's yeah. great. I, I, I want to be her. <laughs> uh, I, I, mean, I, I don't talk to her all the time. I don't see her all the time, but she just is one of those people that's just like, oh, I didn't realize my gas tank was running on empty until I saw you and then you recharged it. Oh, Does that make sense? And I, I, yeah, I know. And I get that 100%. And I, I have people like that in my life as well. So it's just, uh, that's, it's very meaningful. Do you plan to have kids or no kids? Every day is a different answer. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Currently, as I am right now in the life I'm leading right now, it doesn't fit, but maybe a couple years down the road. Yeah. And then are you watching RuPaul All-Stars? Of course I'm watching RuPaul's All-Stars. <laughs> I, I mean, I work with Tina Burner, so I, I kind of... Have oh, do you really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a music director <laughs> and collaborator. So yeah, I am... Spoiler alert if you're listening and haven't watched it. I am so happy that Raja's doing well. Yeah. I, I'm like surprised and I'm grateful because I think she's great. I mean, it's I'm I'm team tr- uh, Trinity. I'm um, team Jada. I'm team Jinx, of course. I mean, they're all just so good. Oddly, <laughs> I love Evie. I don't, okay, let me put this there. I, I, I have ne- I have never met I have never met Evie Oddly, so she's yeah. uh, I, I've never seen her perform but I've seen these other people or met them at DragCon yeah, like, yeah. have a relationship with like Monet Monet is a really good friend of my spouse so I root for the people I, I met Monet before <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. met Monet Monet is great as a, as a human in person yeah so so I mean they're all just so good every single one of them could yeah. win the show and it would make sense and it's just so nice to see the show go back to the art of drag and people just joyful Same. and having a good time like uh, even though it's a competition, they're all just like, who cares who gets the plunger? Who cares who gets the badge? Like, they're all just having a good time showing off what they're able to do. Yeah, I love it. So that, I agree with you. I mean, I have to say, I, I watched this last season. I almost vowed that I was never going to see RuPaul's Drag Race again because it was like, that was, the, I mean, yeah, they're Hollywood. <laughs> it's just, it was awful. Like, everything about that was awful. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of what's the, what's the, what's the game show that I'm trying to think of that they do where they dress up as a different oh, character. Snatch Game, thank you. I couldn't think of it off the top of my head just now. But there, that Snatch Game was the worst I've ever seen in the history of Drag Race. <laughs> I mean, so this opinion is my opinion. It's no one I work for his opinion. I just I love the art of drag when it's campy, when it's performing like theater based, when people tell jokes, when people are on the cuff, and so I feel like the trend has become more about being a model and like being like. I weigh zero pounds and I have human hair and I'm a vamp, which like is a valid <laughs> form of drag, but right. that's not what I want drag to be. So I don't really respond to people who that is their drag form. I want someone to be able to hold a microphone and give me a show. Yeah, me that's too. Which is, which is why, which is why I love a jinx, which is why I love a Bob, which is why I love, yeah. Nina, which is why I love Nina West. You know, like that's why, because they're like performers. It's funny. Cause like in the early two thousands, drag Queens in LA, you should just get up and lip sing to songs and like really slow songs. And they thought that was drag and I'm, you know, it is drag, but then I remember going to South America (laughs) and I went to, yeah, I went to Santiago and this drag queen got on stage and had six male dancers. (laughs) This was literally 2005 and I was and homegirl just 
broke it down. I was like, oh my goodness, what is this? And I could never view drag the same. And then eventually the U.S. caught up. <laughs> but I was like, wow. I was like, no wonder I never really loved drag before that. <laughs> and going to Chile, I was like, wow, that's just amazing. So that was like, you know, pre the Evie odd leads and everything else, you know. But yeah, so what, so so tell me what it's like to, to be married to a drag queen. Such a weird question, but I think I'm curious. <laughs> I think because I'm in the world of the arts, I understand yeah. that drag is like it's a character. It's like, you know, yeah. Shoshana Bean going on as Elphaba. When she comes home, she's Shoshana Bean. When she's on stage, she's Elphaba in Wicked, right? It's yeah. the same kind of thing. My spouse goes to work and dons the makeup and puts the clown nose on. And when they come home, the clown nose comes off. And then I see, does that make sense? Like persona. Yeah, of course. That distinction I think is important. I mean, it's really nice to go to travel the world with my spouse and then like everyone knows who they are. And they're just like, like, uh, they bring joy to people. Like their career is to bring people joy. And I just love being around joy so much. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. They make me laugh. So I, I love that. one thing that I appreciate. One thing that I appreciate is earlier, I guess, at some point you had mentioned that your spouse was non-binary and I have one, so many questions around the non-binary and it's like not coming from a place. It's coming from a place of curiosity. It's not coming from a place of judgment. I had someone once prefer to be called they, mm-hmm. but they also referred themselves as we. Right. Is it they and I, or is it they and we? I think it's really the person. I think the great thing about today's, the day and age of today is that you can choose the pronouns you want to be. So like my spouses are they, them. I know people who are he, they, or she, they, or mm-hmm. I, X-I, or we. I know, yep. I, know a, I have a trans friend who is she, we. So I think that that's really important. And it's, it's just like if I, if I told you, hi, my name is Richard, but call me... William or whatever, you would right. call me William. So I equate it to the same. It's like if I say that my pronouns are they, them, cool. Yeah, it's hard to remember sometimes because everyone has different pronouns, but just it's the intent of the person. Like if I make mistakes and I marry to Marty, sometimes I misgender Marty all the time because it's just we've been ingrained since we were born to say certain things. And so, I, oh, I didn't mean to misgender. So. Oh, wow. So, I mean, even, oh, it's interesting. So even when you make mistakes, oh, even, yeah. even actually, uh, my, yeah. It's, like I'll, I'll, I'll usually catch it. Like I'll, I'll say the wrong gender. And go, I, I mean, they. Like you know, it, I, I catch it. Yeah. But it's always about the intent, right? I know Marty is not there, and they're they them. So if I slip up, it's not because I'm like, ha, 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 ha. it's because it's just a right mistake. Right. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, I, I have to forgive myself quite a bit sometimes because I actually do say I do say the wrong pronoun sometimes when I'm referring to people. And I hate my I hate when I do that, so I beat myself up about it. So I'm always like, okay, I have to forgive myself for doing that and just work on it for next time, right? right. Of, of course. And, and and typically, I I in my experience, people are very yeah. They'll just correct you, and it's not coming from a place of malice. Like, oh, actually, my pronouns are she they. I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, I I knew that. I'm so sorry that I I said the wrong thing. Please forgive me. Right. If right. it becomes a pattern, then it's an issue. But if you honestly... <laughs> right. right, if you're saying it, like, every time you see the person, yeah, that's an issue. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I equate it to, like, I was recently do- music directing a show, and this girl's name was Isabel, and I kept saying Isabella, knowing it was Isabel, but I was just making the mistake, and she goes, hey, my name's Isabella. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I will 
make sure that I'm going to say it correctly. Like I understand how offensive it is to call someone by the wrong name. It's never <laughs> yeah. like that. It's never yeah. intense. But yeah, just let people be who they yeah. want to be. Let people love who they want to love. You know. Yeah, it's easy. So it's easy. you know, I think it's a, so. What what advice would you give to a let's say seventeen year old kid who currently lives in a Mormon family? and recognizes that he, she, they might be attracted to the same gender or attracted to a gender that is non-conventional, what advice would you give them around their coming out journey and the next step? It's so hard because, you know, if I say just like, love yourself, there's so many layers of self judgment or you know me saying that like it's going to be okay just love yourself the god that you that you are taught loves you for who you are Mm -hmm. not for all this if i say that then all of a sudden i'm blasphemous in the religion so it kind of goes on deaf ears i was the same way like oh look at that sinner over there being gay but i think it's so important to have a friendships and confidants and people who love you that let you make mistakes that let you be human that you can confide in that don't judge you whether they are mormon or not if you know just have a friend and if you tell someone that you have feelings for someone else that might be the same gender you're not going to be struck down by a lightning bolt everything's going to be okay right like it's its own personal journey and if you tell someone that and they reject you and call you a sinner then that person actually doesn't care about you and that's nothing about you. It's about finding the people who support you and love you. I think that's so important. And having someone to confide in, because you can't go through this life by yourself. And you I are agree. loved by so many people, including the God that the religion teaches. On paper, that God loves you. It's the religion that kind of confluits sins and I don't know. Are you religious today? No. I, th- I think that everything is too perfect in this life, like the right amount of oxygen and nitrogen in the air for us to breathe so that we, that's a little weird, but I think that that there is something going on we don't understand, whether that is in the form of reincarnation or past life regression or a God or Allah or Buddha or, you know, like whatever. I just think that, Mm -hmm. but I am not religious. Yeah. I, I think of myself as spiritual and I do, I do actually enjoy a good, Christian sermon sometimes, but mainly for the mission and like message and, and maybe like, you know, their, their statements, not almost admission, but it's not the mission. It's the, some message that they're giving in, in, in that day the eulogy and is eulogy the right term. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. I like yeah. Or is that the term when someone dies? <laughs> I don't know. I think I might've misused it. I would have said but... eulogy. I don't know. I, I, I think that a eulogy can also be when someone dies. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to own that. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that I think I'm a spiritual person and I do enjoy sometimes going to church at the same time, but I do meditate. And I think oh, there's definitely something greater than us. Oh, there's yeah. definitely something greater than us. So um, I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I too do love a good message. Yeah. I just get really uncomfortable with organized religion that's trying to tell me what to do. I was Buddhist for a while and practicing all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I just, even even that, I was like, stop telling me what to do. Yeah. I still chant and I still meditate and all these things, but I don't like the, like, the dutiful aspect of 
organized religion. You still chant. That's interesting. Does it mean something different when you chant? Does it, is it, it like, it's, it's more, it's it's not... more cal- it, it calms me down. I, I have mm. anxiety disorder, so I like, I, I like control and I like to... Same. Right. I mean, I think so many queer people have. (laughs) So sometimes, especially in New York and LA. That's correct. So I I chant to when I feel like I can't. It helps me in my self soothing process. I feel like I'm really good at self soothing, but sometimes I'm not able to. So it's just like an external thing that I can like lean into to self soothe. No, I I get that. I started doing transcendental meditation. So there is a little bit of a of a phrase in there that you have to say, right? So everybody has their own dedicated phrase and it's right. calming. <laughs> it's just amazingly calming. So, but I enjoyed talking to you. I think um, you're an interesting soul. Thank you for sharing your joy and your love and, and your definition of, love and survival for family for lgbtq people so i think all that is important i think yeah i mean i thanks i i am continually grateful that i am queer that i am gay because i feel like it allows me to be joyful and i even though life is very hard and very difficult leaning into the joy it makes things a little bit more bearable Right. And like finding yeah. things that bring me joy on a daily basis helps deal with uh, the crazy world that we live in. So I'm grateful that I can be gay. Cultivate the life that you want to lead. That's the <laughs> that's literally my my mission every year. It's like, OK, <laughs> that's out for next year. <laughs> I just, my, my, you know, RuPaul's always so when he says, how the hell are you going to love someone else? And then she loved yourself. Right. Right. That phrase, I just, my therapist told me last week, so, uh, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Flip it around. Yeah. Do unto yourself as you would do unto others. Like, love yourself. Oh, that's interesting. Do unto yourself as you, so if, you, so if you're a loving person and you love on people all the time, then you should love on yourself yeah. as well. I love that. I appreciate that. Right. But like, those I, are haters I, out there. <laughs> Actually, I want to see them hit on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Karma's a bitch only if you are. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I totally love it. It's funny because I was thinking about all this. I don't know. We can go into many tangents, but I just had a conversation with someone at lunch yesterday and they were talking about how all the things that have happened to you, you know, they may have not have been wrong things. They may have been the right things, right? Yeah. And the yeah. people that did those things have karma coming to them. Yeah. So it may not be the way that you think it's going to be karma, but right. they're going to get their karma. Right. <laughs> so right. I don't know. We had a whole philosophical conversation. He also gave me a doom and gloom scenario for the rest of this year, which Ooh. I don't think he's wrong necessarily <laughs> for, for some aspects from the economy standpoint. But that's a whole nother <laughs> next episode anyways but again so thanks again and um stay around so yes thank you (laughs) do you just feel like there is no air left to breathe do you just wanna to be left outside the
Grey, it's so for sure. I didn't know. I wonder what it meant to be.